We're in Exodus today, Exodus chapter 4. Exodus is the word, if you, if you dig into the, the meaning of the word Exodus a little bit, uh, it's telling of what is involved and incorporated in the, the book of Exodus. X means out. Everybody say out. X means out. It means to, to be out of. And Otis means a path or a pathway, a, a, a road, if you will. So really what the book of Exodus is all about is it's talking about a way out. The, the book of Exodus is talking about the children of Israel, how they, they were loose from captivity. Anybody thankful to be loose from captivity today? We, we sang about that. He's a breaker of chains. He's still breaking addictions today. He's still breaking chains that hold our lives bound, and he's releasing us and freeing us from those places of slavery. But Israel became enslaved in Egypt, a place where he had brought them for a short time. Uh, well, well, quite a, quite a long time, it turned out. But they, they went there for sustenance. There was famine in the land. They went to Egypt to be sustained. And God had his hand upon them. He prospered them in this land. And he caused them to multiply. They, they found a good place in Egypt, the land of Goshen. It was a, a fertile place for their flocks. And they soon became a large nation within Egypt. And it got the Egyptians' attention. And they began to uh, be a little afraid of this up-and-coming nation of Israel. And so they enslaved them. It is my opinion that it was never the plan of God for his children to stay in Egypt that long. I don't believe that it was his intention for them to set up shop in Egypt for hundreds of years, just being happy, being comfortable, growing and, and being uh, successful by standards in Egypt. But what happened was for them to be loosed of their comfort zone, if you will, for them to, be, to, to reach a place that they wanted to leave Egypt, he had to raise up a a pharaoh, a king of Egypt that would not be so nice to them. They'd turn up the heat a little bit, and he would cause them to be persecuted. And all of a sudden, they found that this isn't our home. This isn't where we belong. This, this land of Egypt, it's, it's where we've been prospered, where God has blessed us, but it's not where he wants us to go. And so they began to call upon the name of the Lord. And he heard them, and he delivered his people out of Egypt. And that is encompassed in this Exodus story. But I'm thankful this morning that there is still an Exodus account in my life. There, there is still an, a way out. There, there is no depth of sin that one can get into that cannot be released from. But there is still an exodus. There is still a, a path forward through the blood that was shed through a spotless lamb, through the baptism of the waters that we can pass through, and we can come into a, a greater dimension and understanding of his greatness in our lives as he brings us to his promise. Can you say amen this morning? Amen. Exodus chapter 4 in verse number 1. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me, or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. 
This is, we're going to read this in full context, but I, I want to point out a couple of scriptures here. This is the response of Moses to God. God has given him a calling. He's giving him a, a certain measure of manifestation of his power and of his greatness. But he's giving Moses a job to do. And the response of Moses in this verse is, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't want to leave? What, what if they don't believe that you have truly appeared to me? In verse 2, the Lord said to him, this is the response of God. What is in your hand? What is in your hand? And he said, it's a rod. I believe what the Lord would ask us this morning is the same question he asked Moses thousands of years ago. I believe what the Lord would ask us today is, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? Would you ask the Lord to open your spirit to him right now? I know we've been feeling his presence. We've been feeling the manifestation of his glory. But God, right now, I pray that you would open my heart. Open my mind to your word today, Jesus. God, I give you complete control of me today, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, I surrender my whole heart to you, Jesus. I surrender my all in all, Lord. I surrender everything to you, Lord. Speak in this hour to my spirit. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. For your will and your kingdom today, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If we back up one chapter to Exodus chapter 3, and we start with the top of the chapter in verse 1. This is Moses, for, for those of you that might not have read this in a little while, Moses was an Israelite. He, he was of the tribe of Levi. He was one of the captives in Egypt. And he had been uh, raised in the house of Pharaoh. He, he had been given to Pharaoh as a, a young child, as for, to the daughter of Pharaoh, and grown up in Pharaoh's house. He had progressed through and, and grown up in life, and, and through the, the process of life, he became a fugitive. He became uh, on the run. He, he killed someone, and he was now a murderer and on the Pharaoh's top 10 list. He, he was on the, the list of Pharaoh's, he, he had a wanted poster, if you will. And, and Moses was on the run for his very life, and he got out of town. He had, to, he had to run. So we find Moses here, he had left Egypt, he had left where his family was, and now he had fleed to another region of the world and found a, a priest of Midian. And he had joined himself to his family. He actually married his daughter and was joined to this family. And in verse 1, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert. Everybody say the desert. Kind of like here. <laughs> Except you can water it and grow stuff. <laughs> I think in, in this desert, there's, there's not a whole lot of uh, of life. The, the desert, as we well know, unless you water it really good, it's, it's not going to do much for you. Uh, even the soil contents, it, it's not going to yield much fruit. 
but if you if you water it, you can get a little something out of it. But in, in this place, we find Moses had gone to a place in his life. He'd gotten to a wilderness, to a, a desert, and he was a shepherd. He was leading the, the flock and the sheep of his father-in-law. And the Bible says that he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, quickly, if you do a little study on Horeb, Horeb is a, a significant mountain uh, throughout the scriptures. If, if you ever heard of Sinai, anybody heard of Mount Sinai? Some pretty important things happen at Mount Sinai. In the Sinai Mountains, um, there is a mountain, and, and we call it often Sinai. But if you'll do a little comparison and study, you'll find that Horeb and Sinai are basically synonymous. There are some scholars that might differ slightly, but it, for the most part, it's, it's pretty widely accepted that Mount Horeb or the mountain of God uh, is this mountain that so many encounters with God would happen later on in the future. But we, we see where the children of Israel come to Mount Sinai later on, and, and we see how God demonstrates his power. He gives them the law there. These, these great things happen, and, and if you follow the feasts of, of the, the Jewish um, calendar, Sinai is a very important place, or, or Horeb. But the first encounter that Moses has with the mountain of God is when he is on the run, hiding out, and he comes to a desert place. It is, it's interesting in our lives that oftentimes the first time we have an experience with God is when we come to a desert place. Anybody been to a desert place before? That's, that's where things aren't exactly turning out the way you thought they would. That's where things are drying up around you. You're, you're, you're losing a little confidence. You're, you're losing a little hope. You're even trying to flee your past, maybe. Trying to, you know, we might even call that rock bottom. But when we reach this low place in our lives, oftentimes there's no place else to go. So we look up and we cry out to God. And we say, God, if you're there, if you... If, if you're there and, and willing to help me, I'm crying out to you. I'm asking you. And how many are thankful that he's responded to our cries? From that low place, he can respond to a cry, a cry for help, a cry of a child to his father. And he can reach down and he can help us. But it's at this place in this desert that he has this first encounter with God. And the Bible says in verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burning. He saw something in the desert, something that piqued his curiosity, something that got his attention. And this manifestation of his presence, he didn't really understand it fully, but he felt something. There was a drawing there. There, there was something that he witnessed that wasn't like everything else in his life. And he said, I, I got to get closer to this. I, I may not understand what's going on here, so let's, let's get a little closer. And as he pursues God and as he draws near to God, God calls out to him. And the call of God, in verse number four, we see the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, 
And God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And thankful that Moses had enough to respond and say, here I am. See, God will call us. He will reach for us. He, he will oftentimes give us a, a manifestation or demonstration of his power. Sometimes it'll just be someone we know. It'll be a, a witness in our lives. And, and we'll see someone, we'll meet someone at work and, and may not understand completely what's going on there, but there's something there that's different. There, there's something there that's different than anything I've had before. So we, we gravitate to this individual and, and maybe we, we learn a bit more. And, and through the process, we, we might even get a little testimony. We, we might even learn a little bit about who God is. And then at some point, God reaches for us. He calls us and we respond to his, his leading and his, his reaching for our lives and in verse number five, he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. After this calling, after there's this gravitational pull, after there's this attraction to God, God calls him and he tells him there's some changes that need to happen in your life. There's some, some modifications. This is holy ground. This is a place for you to acknowledge the holiness of God. And in this drawing to God, we, we find that he is holy. And he's, he's drawing us and calling us to be holy. It's, it's nothing, holiness is not a look. Okay? Holiness is not something you can put on. It's not something you can display on the outside. But as we draw close to him, he calls us deeper and he calls us closer to him. And he calls us to dedication. He calls us to a place of being set apart. And this place of dedication and holiness is simply because he is holy. Simply because we are reflecting his holiness. We are reflecting the holiness of God in us, in our bodies. Amen. But it's what happens after this interaction. We've seen him experience God. We've seen him respond to the call of God. We've even seen him draw near and acknowledge the holiness of God. But after this, in verse number six, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. You notice after he acknowledges this level of, of holiness and a holy place and the holiness of God, after he draws closer to him, God begins to reveal who he is. God begins to, to, to show him another layer. He says, I, this is, you, you've seen some demonstration. You've seen some manifestation. But as you get closer, let me show you more of me. Let, let me show you and, and take off a, a layer that you hadn't seen before. And, and Moses begins to see who God is to a level that not many had prior. And he hid his face. We, we keep walking through and, and God continues to move upon him, begin, begins to give him a plan. He begins to tell him what his purpose was. He gives him a gifting or he gives him a, a calling, if you will. He, he tells him there's some oppressed people that are still in Egypt I know you may have made it out of Egypt. Remember, Moses was a slave just like the rest of them for a little while. 
And, and here he is. He's now removed from this land of Egypt. He is somewhat off the hook. Nobody's looking for him in the desert. He's probably feeling okay. But God is pointing him back to Egypt, and he's saying, I, I know that you may be free, but there's still some children that are back there in Egypt. There, there's still some people that I'm drawing that, I, that are crying out to me. There, there is still a, a family of yours that are crying out to me for deliverance, and I want to take you to go and meet this need. I, I want to take you for my glory and for my demonstration of my great hand, and I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to be a part of this deliverance that I have for my people. In verse number nine, now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I'd like to remind you this morning that to deliver a captive, you must first deal with the Pharaoh. To, to deliver a captive, you, you have to first bind the strong man. There, there are principles in the scripture in the New Testament that teach us about the strong man. You can't take someone's stuff unless you first take care of the guy who owns the house. You don't break into a house and, and, and take stuff that doesn't belong to you until the, the man of the house is taken care of. It's a, it's a principle. It makes sense. I, I would present to you that those that are crying out to God for deliverance, we have them all around us. We, we have them at our work sites. We have them at our schools. We have them in our own families. There, there are people that are crying out to God. There are people that are, their soul is longing for deliverance. They, they might not know where to find it, but there's something within them that cries out to God. It's saying, God, if you can hear me, God, if you can see me, I, I need you to deliver me. I need you to help me today. In the name of Jesus, God, help us to hear the cries of the captive this morning. Help us to hear the cry of the captive this morning, God. God, I'm thankful for your deliverance in my life. I'm thankful for where you brought me from, but God, help me not to forget the captive this morning. Oh, come on, would you let the Lord pray through you right now? Would you let him stir up the gift right now? God, I pray you plant a burden in our hearts right now, Jesus. Remind us of where you brought us from, God. Remind us of the deliverance today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God continues to deal with Moses and explain what the task is at hand. But Moses has some personal issues. Anybody have a personal issue before? Nobody, right? <laughs> I got a few of those. You might have one. I have a few. He's still working on me, okay? Take it easy. But Moses' response to this, remember, he's having a conversation with God here. That's a pretty supernatural thing. Pretty, pretty impressive. 
And, and God is showing him his plan, his desire, the things that he wants to do through him. And Moses said to God in verse 13, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me. I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Let's go back. Verse 11. This is the response. Moses said to God, Who am I? Who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? There's two questions that Moses asks in about three verses. The first one is, who am I? Why am I able to do this? Who, who do you think you're talking to? Have you forgotten what, who I am here? I, I'm the guy who murdered somebody and had to run and get out of the country because I was on the, the FBI's most wanted list. Have you forgotten who you're talking to here? Who am I? Who do, you, who do you think I am to be able to do this? But he asks another question a couple of verses later. In verse 14, or verse 13, he says, Who shall I say has sent me to you? When I go to the children of Israel and, and they ask me, they're, they're maybe not believing me, what, what do I tell them? Who do I say sent me? In that question, if it would have been asked first, would have been much more profitable for him because he wouldn't have asked the second time, this, the other question. Because verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. You shall say to the children, I am has sent you. The I am, the self-existent one, the one that always was, the one that created everything, the one that's in charge of everything, the, the one that was from the beginning and is to the end. He's outside of time. He's He's greater than the creation that he's created. That's who's sending you. If, if our focus is inward and on ourselves, we're, we're going to automatically lose sight of his greatness. If we're looking down, if we're looking in the mirror, then we're not going to be looking at him and looking at his glory. But when we acknowledge the one who is sending us, the one who is in us, the one who is, who is driving this train, then we can draw some confidence from that. Amen. I want to jump ahead to chapter number four. As we read earlier, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. He's still struggling with this. He, he's seen God and his name revealed in a special way. He, he has seen the manifestation of God. God gave him some, some proof or some uh, things with the, you know, he, he's telling him what he's going to do through him. And he's about to show him greater demonstration. And the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And his response was a rod. Remember, he was a shepherd. He was leading sheep out in the desert, and he had a shepherd's rod in his hand. That, that rod represented everything in his life prior to that, everything that had brought him to a place of being a shepherd in the backside of a wilderness was this rod and this staff. It, it, it represented what he was doing, his profession, what, what he was doing for his career, everything that led him to that point. 
You could even say that his testimony was represented in that rod. But he, he looked at that rod and he, he saw just a stick. And, and when God asked him, what is it in your hand? He said, here it is. It's a rod. Not real special. Not, it's not nothing special about it. It's, it's not going to save anybody or deliver anybody, right? It's just a rod. But God begins to show himself, and he told him to put the rod down, and it became a snake. And that might have freaked me out a little bit. I, I would have been fine with that side of the miracle. It's the, the next part where he said, okay, now pick it back up. I, I don't know about that one, but it, the Bible says he, he was obedient. He picked it back up, and it became a rod again. He, he showed him another miracle, another sign that he would work through him by putting his hand into his bosom and pulling it out. It was leprous. And then he would put it back in again, and it was healed. The Lord gave him demonstration of his power, and he, he gave him acknowledgement of what he was about to do. But I would suggest to you that the rod that is in your hand, if you'll yield it to God, God will work miracles through it. We, we look at this rod that we have in our hand, it's not a whole lot. We, we discount it oftentimes. We, we look at what God has given us and we start, to, we start to play the comparison game, right? Well, you know, I, I don't have what Elder Hart has. I mean, if I had that voice, boy, I tell you, I'd be unstoppable. You know, little little southern drawl, little gravelly, little Carolina. Man, if I had that voice, I tell you, I, anybody else not like their own voice? You know what I'm talking about. I, I'll, I'll be very transparent here. I, I don't listen to in my voice at all. I, I can't do it. I can't listen to any recording. I can't listen to any, anything that I do. Because <laughs> I, I, it grates on me. It's like a, a cheese grater on the side of my head. I just, oh, make it stop. Make it stop. But, but we do this. We, we play this comparison game. And, and we start to, to look at what God has placed in our hand. And we, we say, man, it, it's just a rod. I mean, look at the testimony you gave my brother. You, I don't have that. I, I mean, how can I be effective like him? You know, look at, look at the giftings you, you've placed in, my, in these people around me. You, you've, you've given... And, and we start to discount our rod. But can I remind you that God is not surprised. He knows all things. So when he asks us a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He, he asks us a question because he wants us to see the answer. And so he, he didn't ask Moses what's in your hand because he, he wasn't sure. What, what is that thing, Moses? What, what do you got there? He knew what was in his hand because he helped it get there. God puts within us the giftings, the talents, the testimony, the, the deliverance, the words of deliverance that nobody else has. Nobody else has the rod that's in your hand. There, there is not another individual on the planet that can talk about what God has done for you. There, there is not another person in the planet that can talk about what God has brought you from. We, 
you don't have to have a degree in theology to be able to communicate the gospel. You, you don't have to know Greek. You don't have to know Hebrew. All you got to know is who he is and what he's done for you. That's your testimony. When, when I think about what he's brought me from, what, what I think about who I used to be, no, I'm not saying I'm not perfect now. I, I, I still have a long way to go. But when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, all he has brought me through to this point today, my soul cries out, hallelujah. And that is your testimony. You have a testimony. You have a rod. And I would submit to you this morning that if you would submit your rod to God, if you would give him what you do have, then he would take that and he would use it for his glory and his kingdom. We, we look down just a few verses here in verse number 10 of chapter 4. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Again, he's saying, you can't tell me anything I don't already know. He knew Moses limitations. He, he understood the things that Moses struggled with. Now, if you do some study on what this is talking about, there's many scholars that believe Moses talked with a stutter. There's many believe that he had a, a speech impediment. He, he wasn't a good spokesperson. If you read a little bit into um, the rabbinical writings and, and Jewish tradition, there's even teaching that when he was a baby in the house of Pharaoh, that there was... As, as a young child, that the, the soothsayers and the people of the, the, the king's wise men warned Pharaoh about this baby and said, this baby is going to bring you down. You need to destroy him. And, and there's teaching that he, he was placed before a crown and a hot coal of fire. And the, the saying was, if he chose the crown, they knew he would usurp the crown and, and and take the crown from Pharaoh and that he would be killed. But if he chose the fire, then he would be spared. And, and I'm not saying this is true or not. But the, the teaching is in this Jewish tradition that he, he chose the fire. He picked up a brand that was on the coals. And as a young, a young toddler, a young boy, he picked it up and put it to his mouth. And it was that coal that, that burned his mouth and part of his tongue. And, and caused him for the rest of his life to be imperfect in speech. Now, I, I, I can't, it's not in Scripture, so I'm going to leave that where it is, okay? I'm not saying you have to believe that or not. But I, I am saying that your history and your background, the, the things that bring you to where we are today, your testimony can be something that you're so ashamed of that it will keep you from walking in the purpose and in the calling that God has for you. The, the very things that have brought you to this place today can, can either be a, 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 a rod in your hand that God will deliver people from their sin and use your testimony for, or there'll be baggage in your life that you'll try to hide behind. 
There'll, there'll be something that is in your life that you're so ashamed of and, and so uh, something you want to hide, something you want to put, put away from your sight. But I want you to re- be reminded that God knows your shortcomings. He knows where he brought you from. He, he knows where he's bringing you to. But along the way, there is still a captive. Along the way, there is still a people in Egypt that is calling out to God. And I believe he will use us for his glory. Verse 13, he said, O Lord, my God, please send by the hand of whoever else you may send. I feel God's patience getting a little thin here. Is this about the third or fourth time Moses has said, but God... Who am I? I can't talk. I just have a stick. In verse 14, we see, it says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. The answer to Moses' issues and his shortcomings had already been been routed. He he, he already had Aaron, his brother, en route before Moses even complained and said, well, how am I going to do this? He already had the answer coming. He, He had Aaron, his brother, en route to meet him, and I believe that is oftentimes the same today. The, the things that would hold us back, if, if there are things in our lives that we feel we fall short in, if, if we feel that we're not qualified in some ways, can I tell you this morning that the answer to everything you need is already on the way? The answer to everything that you need, I'm not saying everything you want. I'm not saying God's just going to heal your mouth and you'll be able to speak eloquently and, and have whatever whatever you want to sound like, but the answer to accomplish the word and the purpose of God, if he has called you to it, the answer is already on the way. Amen. Why don't you say amen to that this morning? Let that come from your voice. Let that come from your spirit. Jesus, I trust you in this hour. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. The last verse that I want to point to in this passage is verse 20. Then Moses took his wife, his sons, set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. I want you to see what happens here when you surrender what is in your hand to God. The beginning of the chapter, God's asking him what's in his hand. He says, it's just a rod. But by the time we get to verse 20, and, and Moses comes to alignment with God. He, he becomes aligned to what God's purpose and his calling is in his life. And he says, he finally breaks to a point where he says, okay, God, if you want this rod, it's yours. If, if you want, it doesn't look like much to me, but if you want it, it's yours. And, and he he. He reached a yes in his spirit. And the Bible says that he left within his hand 
the rod of God. Because it was no longer about him. It was no longer about what he had in his hand, but now it was God's. See, he'd released it to God. He, he, had, he said, God, if you want it, it's yours. So it no longer belonged to him. It was now God's rod. When we can surrender ourselves, we, we can surrender our testimony to him. We can say, God, whatever it is, it's yours. I'm giving it to you. Can I tell you it no longer belongs to you? Now it's his. Those things that you might have dealt with in the past that God's delivered you from, they're no longer yours. It's no longer yours. It belongs to him. You, you don't have to live with that on your shame and on your conscience anymore. It belongs to him. Come on, somebody give him glory this morning. It belongs to you, Jesus. I thank you for revelation right now. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for the blood that you shed. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your word. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's your rod, Lord. It's your rod. Thank you, Jesus. We go to 1 Samuel, just a couple more scriptures, and we'll wrap this up. In 1 Samuel chapter number 17. We probably won't read all through this, but starting at verse number 32 of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. We see the story of a shepherd boy. His name is David. Anybody heard of David? David had been sent by his father to go see his brother's who were soldiers, they were at the, the war site, at the battle site. And, and David had gone, he, remember he was a shepherd boy. And so he had gone with some, some food, some cheese, some, some gogurt and fruit snacks. He, he had gone to, to see his brothers and, and to bring them what his father had sent him with. And he arrives on the battle scene to find the people of Israel at a stalemate with the enemy. They, they were entrenched in fear. They, they were afraid because the enemy had a giant. His name was Goliath. Anybody remember him? Goliath was standing in between. He, he was the champion. He, he was in that gap between the two rows of armies. And as was the, the custom uh, he was the champion of one side, and he was asking for a, a champion to come fight from the other. In those days, they would send out their biggest, baddest man, and they would duke it out, and, and the two champions would decide the fate, oftentimes, of the, the whole battle. But there wasn't anybody to meet that giant. There, there wasn't anybody that was willing to step across the line and to step into this unchartered territory and meet this champion of the enemy. And because there was no one willing to fill that gap, to be an intercessor in between those two, two points, the children of Israel stood in fear. They, they stood in, in complete shock and fear and, and hiding because they were afraid of the giant. But David said... Who is this Philistine? Come on. What are you guys doing? It's one guy. Who, who is he that he thinks he can defy the, the, the living God? And so 
he got a little pushback from this. Come on, kid, knock it off. But he says, no, nobody's going to fight him. I'll fight him. And we, we remember the story. They sent him to the king. They said, hey, we, this kid wants to go fight him. And King Saul, who was probably the one that should have been in that position, we know that he, God had used him to deliver the children of Israel prior. There, there were giants. There were kings that had come against the children of Israel, and God had raised up Saul, and he had delivered them. But in this case, Saul was in his tent. But David comes to Saul, and in verse number 38, Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with a, fine, with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor, and he tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. We see here that the, 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 the man, David, or the young boy, David, how, whatever age you want to say, he's probably a teenager, but he had somebody that was trying to put on him their armor. And, and I'm thankful that David had the the knowledge and the foresight to understand, I can't use this. This isn't mine. I've never gone to fight with this stuff on. This, this armor, while it's nice and shiny and it looks good and it probably suits you well, I can't use this armor. I, I can't use this sword. It doesn't belong to me. It's not what's in my hand. He, he, even though someone else was trying to put on him and trying to say, well, you're going to need this. You're going to go fight this giant, so you're going to need my weapons. You're going to need my... But David said, no. But what did he take? Verse number 40 says, then he took his staff in his hand. That was a shepherd's staff. That, that wasn't anything particularly... Uh, intimidating to a giant. We, we remember what, what uh, the giant said to him. You coming to me with rocks and sticks? But to him, it was what's in his hand. To him, it was what God had used previously. He, he knew what God had placed in his hand. And he, he had the courage and the knowledge to know that if God was going to use him, he was, wasn't going to use him using someone else's stuff, someone else's gifting, somebody else's knowledge, but he was going to be using what God had given him in his hand. And he proceeded to the battle, and we remember the rest of the story. One more scripture in the New Testament. This is Mark. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 and verse number 35. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Mark 6 verse 35 says, When the day was now far spent. Folks, the day is far spent. 
I, I believe that we are progressing to the end of the age very rapidly. Yes, I've been hearing that my entire life, but I can tell you now it's a whole lot closer than when I was younger. The day is far spent. We, we are growing close to the hour where this, this, this time frame, this era, will come to an end and where the next one will start. But in verse 35, when the day was far spent, his disciples came to him. And said, this is a deserted place. And already the hour is late. I truly believe this morning that the hour is growing late in a deserted place. I don't know how many opportunities we have left to share our testimony. I, I'm not trying to, to scare anybody. I'm not trying to put fear in any hearts. I'm just saying it like I see it. I, I truly believe we are, the, the day is growing late. The hour is coming to an end. And in this deserted place, this desert, a dry place where people had come to hear Jesus, where they were hungry to hear from him, where they had heard that there was a Jesus that was teaching somewhere. They'd been drawn to a desert place in their lives. And in verse 36 says, send them away that they may go into surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread. Now, these are the words of his disciples, not the words of Jesus. They come to Jesus and they said, Jesus, it's getting late. Yeah, I can see that. It's getting dark. These guys are hungry. We don't have any food here. You need to send them away. They, they need to go find something to eat. But what does Jesus say back to them? Verse 37. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. You feed these people. There's a voice within and without that can come and try to convince us that we need to send people going looking for bread. But I believe the Lord would remind us this morning that he is the bread of eternal life. And we have that bread. I said, we have that bread. And he, he answers them and says, you feed them. And what happens? You give them something to eat. And they said, how? How are we going to do this? That's kind of the same answer you got from Moses, isn't it? How's this going to happen? Brother, if you could play something just so they'll know I'm winding down. How do you know? How do I know they're going to believe me that you sent me, that you truly sent me to tell them this? That was Moses. And the disciples look around. They say, hey, Pete, how much money you got? Not enough to feed all these guys. They look pretty hungry. Hey, John, how, how much you got? Over, oh, maybe we should ask Judas. He has the money. Hey, hey, Judas, how much money we got in the pot? Not as much as there was yesterday. But they said, Jesus, it would take 200 denarii worth of bread to give them something to eat. But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? 
Why don't we stand this morning? I believe the Lord is asking you and I this morning, not about what you don't have, not about what you're lacking. He knows and he can make up the difference. But I, he's, he's talking to us this morning and he's asking us, would you just give me what you have?